You can forget a lot of things, Foster Care Nation, but never forget this. You're listening to Unparalleled Studios. I signal. Foster Care Nation, listen up. This is Foster Care and Unparalleled Terminator. Strength for the powerless. Courage for the fearful. Hope and healing for wounded hearts. Hello and welcome back to Foster Care and Unparalleled Journey with Jason and no Amanda again today. Um, guys, like I mentioned last time, she's still fighting the stomach virus. She should hopefully be back real soon. We'll see. Then she'll probably have to go take care of some other stuff. But she'll get her back as soon as I can get her back because I like having her sit here. She's uh, She makes the podcast look prettier. And I know y'all can't see it, but, you know, I just feel better when I look prettier. And I got to have her do it because God knows I have a voice for some sort of audio platform and uh, not a, a face for it or for, for TV. You know, I have that face made for radio. So... Um, today we're going to talk with an author. Today we have Don Barclay here with us and we're going to do something a little bit different. Um, we typically interview people who work with foster kids or people who've had foster kids or adopted kids, people who have worked with those kids, therapists, caseworkers, all that sort of stuff, foster parents, or somebody who has their own story in their journey. Don does not have that specific notation on her life, but Don has a book that she has written and I'm going to let her give you the full title because it is about traveling with kids who have some special needs. And ladies and gentlemen, if you are a foster parent, if you are an adoptive parent, there's a good, yeah, a good chance. I'll get it out. There's a good possibility that you have dealt with some kids who have some special needs. I know in my house, we have the alphabet soup of diagnoses. I mean, we have all the letters in the alphabet in there, I think, except for maybe one or two, we've got them all in there. So Working with trying to figure out how to travel with kids. You know, you want to go on vacation, right? I, I would say I want to go on vacation, but really I just want to nap. My wife wants me to take us on vacation and we, we need to figure out how to do that because here a while back, my oldest son went off to basic training. He graduated basic training up in uh, South Carolina. We live in Missouri and that is a long drive to take with a bunch of kids, with a bunch of diagnoses, and who, buddy, it was a trip. It was a trip, but we were going to go. We were going to get there because he was graduating basic training. We wanted to support him. Plus, I'd never been to Fort Jackson before, and I was in the military. I was going to go see my kid graduate basic, and so we had to do that thing, and it was quite the story. So, Dawn, how are you doing today? And tell us about your book, please. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, my book is entitled Traveling Different Vacation Strategies for Parents of the Anxious, the Inflexible, and the Neurodiverse. And truly, all kids crave routine and familiarity, and all kids become anxious and inflexible when taken out of their comfort zone. So it's sort of for every family. Yeah, you sound like you're, you know, you probably know what that looks like. You probably have seen plenty of people dealing with that talk to lots of people and you know a thing or two about travel and we need help. We need help. <laughs> My wife wants me to take the kids to a place in uh, a place that has a little beach here, a beach in Missouri. I know, I know it's not the real beach, but I'm not driving to the real beach again uh, with a whole bunch of kids. Cause we drove down to uh, the Gulf of Mexico once and who, yeah, that was a trip. That was many, many years ago for a reason. But, uh, 
but yeah, so so tell us about about that. Like, like what prompted you into writing a book for kids to be able to do this um, to to change the lives, you know, change the way that lives are affected when we're trying to go out as a family and build memories. Well, I grew up in a travel family. My parents owned a big travel agency in Manhattan, and then they developed a sideline where they did short-term apartment rentals and villa rentals in Europe. And I worked for them for many years. Um, And I segued from that into writing for the travel trade. So I've written for four major travel trade publications over the years. And when I had my children, they were not as excited about traveling as I was. They were, uh, to say the least, anxious and inflexible. And when I needed a book like this, it didn't exist. So I began to interview for it. I spoke to Dr. Tony Atwood, who's very large in autism circles. I spoke to Dr. Ellen Littman, who's very large in ADHD world. And then I kind of hit a wall and I had to put it aside uh, because I didn't have a lot of other people to interview. And I didn't know then what I know now about publishing and interviewing. And uh, I came back to it when I discovered in around 2018 that there was an organization called IBCCES that had created a designation called the Certified Autism Travel Professional. So here were many travel professionals, also many special needs parents who had uh, done intense training on how to work with uh, people with invisible disabilities. And so I was able to interview them, uh, interview their clients who are special needs families and a lot more information on the internet in 2019 than there was in you know 2000s, early 2000s. Um, and thanks to a pandemic that came and kept me inside for two years, the book got written. yeah i I remember the internet of the early 2000s it was mostly uh, america online and chat rooms wasn't it yeah there wasn't the amount of research material online that there is now that would give me a clue of who to go and speak to further so it was um definitely a learning experience and i knew like i said a lot more about the publishing world in 2019 because in the meantime between starting this book and actually writing it, I had written seven other books. So (laughs) that'll get you some experience. Yeah. Yeah. But they were fiction. This is my first, it should have been my first book. It's my eighth book, but it's my first nonfiction book. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I have about six books written in my head and um, Amazon will not, won't sell them when they're in my head. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just too busy to have taken the time to, well, let's be honest. I'm really busy and I've chosen other things over the uh, time that would be required to sit down and, uh, and write a book. Cause sure. I think, I think I've got about 30,000 words written somewhere in a file that needs to be gone over and looked at and worked on and all that good stuff. But maybe someday I'll join the ranks of a, of a author as well. But until then, until then, I'm just going to have to, uh, to settle with, with talking to people and, and spreading what I can, what I can find out there in the internet and find people who can give us knowledge like you and experience and tell us what it is that, that we need to know to at least point us in the right direction to make this a successful endeavor. Sure. So what else can I tell you? What else would you like to know? Okay. So I'm going to pack all the kids up and drive, you know, several hours down the road. Now, mind you in my house, you know, we have, um, what do we have? ADHD. Um, and I, I really think that, uh, that, that, that particular diagnosis needs like a, like an, a next level, like a premium level, 
because I have one. <laughs> premium, ADHD premium. That's great. <laughs> I have one of those. We have some dysregulation disorders. We, we have all kinds of stuff amongst it. You know, well, our four youngest kids who can't, when they, they, uh, they've all experienced some level of drug exposure. And as we know now, all the traumas that come from that, from that style of life that they lived before they were here, um, the traumas that come from the loss of first family, all the different things that trauma causes some level of brain damage and that manifests itself as a diagnosis typically. And I'm going to pack all these kids in a car at some point when my wife finally makes me and drag them down the road. What do I need to do to, to start off with just to figure out how to be successful so I don't end up losing my crap and getting there with less hair on my head than I have when I leave? Have any of these child children never traveled? Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, that we got baby girl with us right now, and and she hates the car, so that'll be fun. Um, which is weird because most babies like car rides. She does not. She's like, screw you guys. I'm going to be different. Um, then I have a six, no, seven and an eight year old who've never really done any traveling. Um, and then eh, my my older daughter, she's she's done a little bit. So yeah, I would say the the youngest portion of them have never spent any real time in a car, and they've none of them have seen an airplane yet. Okay. So in the book, I'm very clear that we should start small and introduce the concept of travel way before the trip. And uh, because the whole idea of travel is foreign to kids who, again, crave familiarity, crave predictability, and that's what's going to be missing when you travel. So, But there are ways to make the unfamiliar familiar to them, other than short car rides that lead up to the big ones. They have been in the car. Oh yeah. I mean, they maybe they've been in for an hour or two. Oh yeah, we took about okay. an hour and a half trip here recently out to um the uh one of the state colleges where my daughter was doing a, a thing and yeah, they've been there. I'm not going to say it was entirely successful, but they've been in the car and we survived it. Okay, so what's really important since I do recommend doing small things before long things is to look at what didn't work during the short trip because those are your triggers and that's where you can make changes for the longer trip. So were there specific, I, I am going to get into the, the, the action steps in a second, but since we have you and we can talk about your trip, uh, what exactly were the issues when you were driving? <laughs> Primarily two little boys who have um, sibling rivalry that goes like beyond normal and, mm -hmm. um, if we could build a brick wall in between the seats and the car, that would be helpful. Okay. So electronics, if you have it, can create sort of like that brick wall because they should have noise canceling headphones. And if you can, if you have iPads or any sort of, you know, electronics to keep them busy, that's a big help. Everybody recommends never going anywhere without your noise canceling headphones and whatever you have to store television shows and, and movies on. So if that's something that's done in your family, that would be a big help. Um, the other ways to introduce travel to those who've never done it before, you could bring in picture books with the the kids' favorite characters in uh, travel situations. And I list some in the book, but your local librarian can, you know, recommend a bunch more. You can do role-playing you can have uh, social stories. I'm not sure if you know what a social story is or your listeners do, but Carol Gray has written a book about social stories, which are narratives that you write with the child's point of view. 
that go over some of the um, upcoming things to look forward to and issues that might occur and give them uh, answers ahead of time or, or strategies of how to deal with them. So really worth looking into Carol Gray's book. Um, and I do talk about these, uh, oh, very important to do, excuse me, to do videos. So if you wanna introduce kids to where they're gonna be stopping, uh, like hotels or venues that you're gonna be visiting along the way, uh, always good to look at videos that can show you what you'll be encountering. So again, you've made the unfamiliar familiar. And thanks to YouTube and suppliers who have videos, you can pretty much do this for anywhere you're going to. Uh, so then mini experiences, we already talked about maybe having a short car trip before a long one, but for kids who have never slept in a bedroom other than their own, and now they're going to be sleeping in a strange hotel that could cost you a lot of money before you do that. Why not go to a friend's house or a relative's house for one night and have them experience what it's like to sleep somewhere else for free, because right away you'll see where the triggers are and you'll see if your children need the familiar scent and texture of their own sheets and blankets. Don't wash them before you travel because you want that scent to be with them. Um, their own toiletries. Again, kids with autism, this is a sensory disorder. So you want to deal with the sensations and the sensory issues that they know. Um, you may want to bring a fan to drown out the sound from the hallway. You might need a nightlight, but you'll know this right away. And then you'll be one step ahead of the game. So, that's number one is to create the um, create some create the concept of travel for them uh, so they understand a little bit about what's going to be happening. And the next thing is to over prepare and the hint is that there's no such thing as over preparing. You should really map out that trip from beginning to end in your mind, break it up every single you know you're going from the house to the airport, or you're just going to your car and you have to make sure that your car is in good shape uh, because you don't want an issue with excessive noise in the car. God forbid that the, you know, the car breaks down. You don't want that. You want to kind of uh, drive when there isn't rush hour. You want to gauge the trip to your children's timing. So if they all sleep at night, maybe that's a really good time to drive because during the day you could be making stops that are uh, built around the child's interest. So the actual trip could be the fun part for them as opposed to just the destination. Uh, things like that are very helpful as well as getting the child's buy-in. So creating um, choices for them about your final destination or what you're going to do every day, all pre-approved by you. So they have some control. This is going to be more difficult for you because you have so many different opinions that are come into the mix and there'll have to be some sort of compromise. But if everybody feels they've gotten something, then they have something to look forward to during the day and they feel like they've had some level of control and, and then you're getting their buy-in and they have a vested interest in the success of the trip. Well, you know, it sounds like I've done most of those things all wrong in the past. Me uh. too. I did them all wrong too. None of this is my story. Believe me. <laughs> yeah. Except for the one time I have a, a good friend of mine and we've known each other since, since Steve, my buddy, Steve, since he was Stevie, I've known him. I think we were probably five years old, four or five years old when I met him and uh, he was getting married out in Colorado. And of course we're in mid Missouri. It's about a 12 hour drive. 
And I think the one thing that we did do correctly is I looked at my wife and this was many years ago. I said, this would be easier if they slept. And I drive for a living and I drive a lot at night, not anymore, but I used to drive a lot at night. And so we, we waited until about five o'clock in the evening to take off and, and head out into the head west and they got tired and i said you know yeah guys you know just lean back take a nap it'll be a little bit till we get there i didn't tell them that we still had like eight hours of driving ahead of us <laughs> and and we went down the road and we drove until i couldn't drive anymore and then she amanda drove for a while until she couldn't drive anymore and then it was my turn to get back in the seat until we were both like yo we better find a hotel because neither one of us can drive it but we did most of the driving i think we think we made it to somewhere like lyman kansas which is if you're not familiar with lyman kansas no one else is either but it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's this little spot i want to say it was a couple hours before you got to denver just on the edge of kansas somewhere we stopped out in the woods somewhere and uh might have been Lyman, Colorado, for all I remember. Steve's been married for a lot of years. His his little boy that he had after that has already graduated high school. That tells you how long it's been since I was there. So, But, yeah, we, we did a lot of that at night. That made for a much better travel plan, except that the next day, guess who was really exhausted? You. The driver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It helps that you could switch off with your partner. That's that's an important part of that driving at night idea. You really can't be touring all day and driving all night if you don't have somebody to switch off with. Well, I'm not going to say you can't. You just shouldn't. Um, yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm one of those people who uh, who operates on very, very little sleep because, well, because my life does not involve having a lot of opportunities to sleep. So but and, and I guess, you know, honestly, that's been a big part of it because then we get there and I am tired and crabby and I'm exhausted and I don't want to whine and cry about it. And nobody wants to hear it. They all want to go have fun. And I'm like, you all need to shut up and let me sleep for about <laughs> two hours. But dad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I understand. This is where getting a hotel where maybe you have a residential hotel with a couple of different bedrooms is very helpful because then you could go and sleep and the kids could be doing other things and you have some privacy. Yeah. Whatever you do, don't stop at the KS Motel in Lyman, Colorado or Kansas, wherever the heck it was, because um, I'm just going to say that's not a good place for anybody to stay. <laughs> I've stayed in a lot of Motel 6 cheap little, you know, real cheap spots for, for just a night when it was just me. And and even after that, this, that little place was scary. I, I had to scoot the cockroaches out of the way to be able to get and use a bathroom. It was pretty horrible. Uh, I will say um, for families who have someone on the spectrum who needs a space to decompress, if, if you don't have the money to, um, to spend on more than one hotel room, one idea is to maybe put some linens in the closet. Don't close the closet necessarily, but the child can have their own little space there. And that's a, a very helpful. Well, that's a great idea. I never even thought about that because, you know, one of our kids does occasionally need some time to go get away from everybody else. And he just needs some time to breathe and some space to, to bring his, uh, bring all of his big emotions down and, uh, incorporate that into his life a little bit until he can get back into a good headspace. And we're slowly getting to the point where he's pretty good at that, but he needs uh -huh. space to do that. And yeah. his brother, Mr. ADHD premium, um, he's really good at not letting him have that space. So just creating that, that space and being intentional about that, that's a great idea. Cause I mean, we, we need that space for him. Yeah. 
Yeah. So that's one way to create it because not everybody can afford a very expensive hotel room or more than one hotel room. So I, I, I often recommend vacation rentals and I do include a, um, a section in the book that teaches you how to vet them ahead of time. Uh, because there are certain things that you should look for, like a good security system in case you have a child that elopes. Uh, you know, there are lots of different things. And there are things you can bring along, like um, an alarm for the door, so that if your child decides to open the door, you're going to have some advance notice about it. So, yeah, that's that's true. You know, those, um, the kids that the runners, you know. Yeah. That, that matters. <laughs> yeah, I spend a lot of time talking about safety and a couple of safety ideas uh, inc- are, include sewing a GPS into their clothing, uh, also taking pictures of them in the morning, every morning. And so easy now with your phone. It doesn't even involve film. Wearing what they're wearing for the day so you'll know and be able to provide pictures to authorities if they do get away. Yeah, and you're right with phones. It's so much easier now because my one little guy, he'll, he'll leave the house in one set of PJs first thing in the morning because he's never been diagnosed with any specific sensory, um, issue. But I'm going to tell you that for the longest time, we couldn't get him to sleep unless he had a sleep sack, which was, I found him on Amazon. It was basically like a pillowcase that you could zip up and it was stretchy and almost like spandexy. And this kid could sleep like nobody's business in that thing, but outside it was a much bigger problem. Yeah, they love deep compression, a lot of kids. And those kids tend to really like scuba diving because the wetsuit provides the ultimate compression and, and feeling your body underwater. There's also pressure against your body. This was a big surprise to me, but I do include information on sports vacation for individual sports. And one of the ones that I talk about a lot is scuba diving. Well, that's interesting. That I'd be I'd be terribly interested in doing that if I wasn't a little bit terrified of scuba diving myself. Maybe I'm going to have to overcome some fears and think about that because I, yes, we're in Missouri, but I know we could still find a body of water to get inside of. And uh, yeah. well, to be honest, right outside of my house, right behind my house, we have a little small body of water called a pool and he loves that thing. Yeah. Yeah. And they do teach the the adaptive scuba diving is taught in pools. So there's a company called Dive Heart down in Florida, and uh, they train people who, who teach all over the world, and they also recommend vacation spots. So I include information on that. The other sports that work well for kids on the spectrum or with invisible disabilities um, are individual sports where they don't have to deal with social situations and working as a team. They just are working at perfecting their own technique, such as golf, adaptive skiing, uh, horseback riding because they love work, you know, with horses. And what I just found out, which is so interesting to me, is that there is adaptive surfing, and there is a company called Il Viaggio, Il Viaggio in Costa Rica that has a program that includes adaptive surfing, both for people with physical disabilities and people on the spectrum. So I'm writing that up for uh, the blog on travelingdifferent.com, which both supplements and updates the, the book. Yeah, that's uh, that, that list of different options is amazing because you mentioned horseback riding. That's one of the things uh, we've been doing some uh, equine therapy with one of our children, and it's amazing how much that can be helpful. Yeah, dude ranches, great, great option. I have some that cater to kids on the spectrum, um, uh, but what you find is that when you 
get involved in a sports vacation, if you have kids that are neurotypical as well as neurodiverse, there's something for everybody. And that's also true in some of the resorts that I list and cruises. There's usually enough activities going around that there's something for everyone. Um, and I will say that about 85% of the book is not destinations to go to. It's really strategies to turn any vacation into something you can do um, if your kid has invisible disabilities or is anxious or inflexible. I love that term. You've used it a couple of times now, the invisible disabilities. I already wrote that one down once because <laughs> I'm thinking that's, that's exactly what we deal with. Yeah. You know, we have kids who have something going on that, that the average person doesn't see. They just see a kid with some sort of behavior. And, uh, you know, I hate to admit it. I was the guy who was judgmental when I saw the mom in in the grocery store and a kid throwing themselves on the floor and screaming and yelling. Honestly, sometimes, sometimes it was just bad parenting, but sometimes, sometimes it's just desperate parenting trying to get through something that that the average person doesn't see that's out there the that disability is fully invisible and that's what keeps so many people on the spectrum from traveling there was a survey conducted by ibccs of a thousand special needs parents and of those 87 percent won't travel they said but of that 87 percent 93 percent said they would if they knew where to go and what to do and their primary reason for not traveling is they were afraid of being judged. And so I have a whole section about how parents who are traveling with kids with issues deal with the um, insensitive onlookers. And for the most part, they've learned that the most important thing to worry about is their child and to block everything else out because who cares about these people you're never going to see again. You know, you don't have, you don't owe an explanation to them that your child is not a brat, your child is having a sensory meltdown. I mean, some people hand out cards that explain, but other people realize that this is, I'm entitled to travel to, this is my world too, and I'm going to deal with my child. And I'm going to make, calm the child down and help the child decompress and whatever you think that's your business. You know, I, I can so get along with that idea. Um, it, many years ago, I got to the point where I no longer cared what people thought about me. Um, if you think I'm ugly, I'm good with you. I probably agree with you for the most part. I don't really care. You know, I'm done trying to impress people I'll never meet and probably wouldn't like, even if I did meet them. Um, you know, but, and I don't know if this is, you know, more something of a primary gender difference or not, but I know my wife is one of the ones who's like what people think bothers her. Um, me personally, I don't care. And if you want to come over and be a jerk to me, well, I'm sorry. I, I was I was raised by a police officer. I spent some time in the military. I have the ability to distinctly be able to stop real quick and shut you up. <laughs> and it's not very polite. And I don't like to do it. It's not. It's not like the, my my greatest Christian moments, right? Yeah. <laughs> but but I, I don't. You know, somebody is is in that headspace. I, my job isn't to to take care of them. My they, I don't owe them something, and I just explain to them why they can go if they want to have a good time that doesn't involve me and I'm okay with it. So y'all can go do that. And I don't need that. But for me, it's, it's not a big deal, but I know for a lot of people, they're very concerned about what people think of them in those moments. Yes. And I would have to agree with you. I think that a lot of it is gender related too. I think that as a woman, we were raised from a very young age to be very concerned about how we appear, because if we're not perfect, in every way, we won't get married and we won't be acceptable. And a lot of that ties into weight problems and, uh, you know, 
eating disorders. And I, it's not part of my book, but I could go on and on. And I mean, I wrote a fiction book called Murder Worth the Weight, all about how we're really two people, when we're, one when we're overweight and one when we're thin. Yeah, I, I don't know what, what that person is in me when I was thin, because I think I, last time I was really, truly thin was um, was probably late 1990s when I got out of basic training, and that was as close to thin as I've been since maybe seven years old. Other than that, yeah, you know, and, and you mentioned that perfection piece, right? My, my wife, well, you know, she's a beautiful woman, but she will sit and spend all kinds of time doing makeup and getting her hair just right, and, and I walk to the bathroom to get ready to go, and I put a little water in my hands and brush the hair back and maybe put a little something in to calm it down because my hair will go stupid wild if I don't put a little something in there. <laughs> and I brush my fingers through my hair and I go, there you go. You're looking good, yeah. man. Let's go. And that's that's all I do. I Yeah, we uh, hate you. <laughs> <laughs> you're allowed. You're allowed. But I have a wife and, and seven children. Um, I can't afford to impress too many more people. So, you know, it's okay <laughs> if all the ladies aren't attracted. I, I'm good with it. I don't need any. Mm, nope. Yeah. Nope. I'm not interested in that. So I don't need to impress anybody anymore. Yeah. I actually had a guy I work with once um, because, you know, I have, I've been, well, you can't tell it so much right now because I have not been keeping up with it too well, but I've been rocking the Mohawk for the last year or so. And the whole reason is because my little guy, my youngest, he wanted a Mohawk. So I, my older boys taught me not to care too much about hair. You'll just drive yourself crazy trying to worry about getting your kid's hair looking perfect all the time. So I'm like, oh, you want a mohawk? Let's go. I take him to the bathroom, grab the clipper, shaved a mohawk in his head. No big deal. He thought it was awesome as could be. And then shortly after that, he was going into kindergarten. And a month or so, a month or a couple of weeks before he went to kindergarten, before school started, he came to me and said, Dad, I want you to shave all my hair off. I said, why is that, buddy? He said, because nobody else has a mohawk. And... What if everybody thinks it's weird? What if nobody likes it? I said, you know what? You have a good point. Let's go. And I went in the bathroom. I got the clippers and I shaved a mohawk into my head and said, there you go. Now you know somebody else with a mohawk. All right, dude. And we gave him knuckles and we're good. And I walk out and I, I went to work. And one of the guys that I work with, he's a little bit older guy, kind of a crotchety dude to be, to be real accurate. Um, and he said something to me kind of snarky one day about my hair. And I looked at him like, well, you think I'm trying to impress you? <laughs> I can't afford to impress any more women in my life. And I sure ain't trying to impress you brother. You know, but it's, it's just about building that mentality for me to where I don't care. But, but so much of this stuff goes so much deeper about, you know, are you a good mother? If your kids are acting a fool in public, you know, are you a good yeah. father? If your kids are acting a fool in public. Yeah. And it's, you can't worry about what people think because you know, the story and you know why they're over They're, they're, having a meltdown. So it, it, why compile uh, more upset or compound more upset uh, by worrying about what other people are thinking about it at the same time? Yeah, because quite frankly, no, none of them really matter to me. And so I'm good if they just, you know, they just go on and do their own thing and, and we'll go on and do our own thing. Because ultimately, I think this whole idea of travel is that's one of the places where we build real memories with kids. Yes, it's definitely a bonding experience, especially if you can take the child's, anybody who has a child on the spectrum knows that they have very intense passions and interests that they might talk about 20 hours a week. And if you can build a vacation that either is uh, centered around that, revolves around that, or at least includes that, you're going to build some positive memories. So in the book, 
toward the, the back, I have uh, a list of special interests that I compiled after speaking to a lot of people on the spectrum. And I list where you can go to learn more about those interests broken down by state and then by city. So whether your child has a passion for insects or rocks or elevators or construction, you'll find a, a museum. I mean, it's not totally inclusive, but I do include where you can find more. Uh, but at least you have somewhere to start so that, I mean, the child's going to really appreciate that. I have one, uh, one anecdote in the book where uh, a family was traveling in Wisconsin and they saw that there was a mustard museum and they took their child there because their child loved mustard and the kids still <laughs> talking about it years later because, and, and what he remembers was that they did it specifically for him. They, they went there specifically for him and he loved it. That's awesome. Yeah. I did not know there was a mustard museum in this world, but if he's yeah. interested, I know where the, the, the country's largest ketchup bottle is. Where is that? Um, <laughs> you think of which town it's, it's over in, on the, uh, the central Western part of Illinois. Um, it's not Alton, maybe Collinsville. It's one of those little towns just uh, just to the other side of St. Louis in uh, in Illinois, and they have the world's largest ketchup bottle, which is really just a water tower, but it's painted like a ketchup bottle, so that's what they uh -huh. call it. There you go. I mean, kids have lots of different interests. I think I have a friend whose son loved elevators. It seems to me that that would be, a if you were going to have a passion, that's a great one because you can fulfill it all over the world. You know, um, trains is a very popular one. So there's tons of transit museums and uh, that that's something that's easy to uh, coins and you can go to mints. Uh, there's so many different ways. But for rocks, if your child loves gems and rocks, you could go to a quarry. And I don't think people have thought about that. So I list some quarries that you might be able to visit. Um, it's just a matter of um, thinking outside the box. Yeah, yeah. Now, once I once I find out where you can uh, you can learn all about Naruto, um, because that's a cartoon that apparently is super important in one kid's life, and and I can I know it. Say, can you? I, I barely can say the the kid's name right, and I get hollered at all the time. That's not how you say it, Dad. And I'm like, I know I don't speak I don't speak his language. Sorry. <laughs> my my daughter loved that show. I used to have to watch that with her. <laughs> yeah yeah all i can say is you know at first it made me insane and then i got i got a little bit of insight from another guy i know whose son was really into it and it turns out he's a kid who lost his parents there you and, go yeah and i go oh wait there's a deeper psychological he probably doesn't even realize the connection there at this because he's at the time he was only seven years old when he first got into it he probably doesn't even realize the connection why this whole thing seems so cool to him it's cool because they're you know they're doing the the whatever fire jitsu and jump up and do this and that and then beat the bad guy. That's what he likes to see. But you know, somewhere in his psyche, it's hanging on to the fact that this hero, the story is, is a, a kid who doesn't have any parents. There you go. Very interesting. Yeah. It's some of that stuff blows my mind. The things that, that are in a lot of this modern, um, the modern stuff that the kids are really into. Um, it's, I'm amazed how much deeper stuff really, draws them in the only thing that really makes me mad about it is the whole the the running like naruto thing and they do that in public all the time i'm like you look like you're gonna fall and plant your face on the ground boy i, I can you put your hands like up where you can catch yourself because no no you just let them fly behind you and then you can run super fast and that's really funny you know i'm just gonna go with it <laughs>
Yeah. But I it's, just, it's I, I just make ma- sure manga, about. right? It's the manga. Is, yeah, is like that. So, so kids who like that might like to go to manga stores anywhere they're traveling. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I try to force myself to get into the stuff they're into sometimes because, you know, at the end of the day, our job is to build connection. Yeah. And there, it's not going to be around the things that I want it to be around you, say, or the things that I'm interested in. That's why it's so important when you're planning a child tri- or planning a trip to keep flexible, keep the pacing to what the children can deal with, whether that means then doing seeing one or two things a day and spending the rest of the day in front of the TV or the pool. I know you've spent a lot on the vacation, but I also know you've done it to create memories. And if you want to have positive memories, you know, keep it at the child's pace and either come back another time or have a longer trip, but don't try to cram 10 things into a day when the child is going to spend half of it cranky and and possibly sleeping and you're going to be carrying them around on your back. Uh, You must, you must know something about my story. (laughs) <laughs> I think because, a lot of people's stories are similar, and I heard a lot of stories writing this book. <laughs> well, the listeners can't see it, obviously, but my wife uh, was stopped in a in a hospital gift shop one day, and she brought this home because it is it's a green uh. of a, a guy with a kid on his shoulders, and quite frankly, pretty much everywhere we go, we look like that. I've got a kid on my shoulders, pretty much everywhere. My, you know, whether if our godson's with us, he's up there. That's his spot. Um, the rest of my kids have spent, I don't know, 20, 30 miles at least up there. <laughs> and that's probably on a weekly basis. But yeah, you know, but that that's a thing is, you know, you do what you can with the kids when they can do it. You right. Try and build these connections because I'm going to tell you, you know, most of the listeners know that, you know, Amanda, and I have talked about it. We lost our oldest daughter to a nasty disease several years back. Sorry. And I'm going to tell you that trip we took down to down to the Gulf of Mexico. There's some memories there. You know, I have a picture of her where we had gone, quote unquote, deep sea fishing, which was really a shabby old boat that the guy would take out into the Gulf of Mexico. And you'd throw some fishing lines over. And she caught this. It's a small, I think they were nurse sharks or something, but they were fairly small. And, you know, there's a picture of her holding one that she had caught. And and she's like, like, she's the one going to eat the shark. And it was hilarious. But it's all these memories that that come back and feed you in those moments, you know, that God forbid, if you have to deal with that kind of trauma later on. Yeah. that feeds your soul, all those memories. That's, that's what you have left. Sure. Absolutely true. And so you want to build memories that your children are going to remember. I can remember my parents took us, um, my father was, is British. So we spent a lot of time going between the UK and, and America. And there was one trip we took where we were in, we were driving, I think from Southampton to London. And we stopped in a hotel called the Mendip Motel. And all I remember is that there was an electronic shoe shining machine, you know, and we were playing with it. And here we are, this is probably 40 years later. No, probably 50 years later. And that's what I remember that. And the cream of chicken, uh, cream of vegetable soup at, um, at a restaurant we stopped at where I ordered two bowls. <laughs> this is all I remember from that trip. Did we go to Stonehenge? I don't remember. <laughs> I remember the soup and, and, and the shoe shining equipment. Yeah, you know, kids will never remember all the big stuff. It's it's like Christmas morning after after all the toys have been opened and and you come around the corner and, and you catch them sitting there playing with the boxes and yeah. stuff toys. That's it. You don't know what's going to be interesting to the kids. You know, follow their lead. 
Yeah. Yeah. And that's sometimes hard to do. You know, I, I've tried to get some of my kids interested in some of the things that I do. You know, when, when my older boys were teen, when they first came in the teen years, I, I really needed to go hit something on a regular basis because I didn't have this dealing with teenagers thing figured out. So I went out and got some a couple little things and, and learned how to do a little bit of blacksmithing as a hobby. And cool. it turned into something that as they got older, you know, my, my son decided for his I think it was his six month anniversary with the girl who was dating at the time i had figured out how to make these uh steel roses which are absolutely beautiful by the way but he wanted to make some he wanted to make it for for this girl and and this kid sat down he made a half a dozen steel roses for this girl and i look at it i looked at it and said bud you're setting the bar high like this is (laughs) one (laughs) and this is the six month anniversary i'm just gonna tell you they're not together these days but she got one heck of a gift for sure yeah it was a place where I could bring him in, but that was only at a certain point in his life. You know, when, you know, I got little guys now, seven or nine years old. And though if I, if I do have the time to go down to the shop and bang on some metal and make something, they'll come down from time to time and, and make a little noise and hang out. But I mean, they come down here and there. It's, it's not a, not something that we do a lot together and figuring out what it is that they're into and how we can turn that into some kind of big experience is a big thing. Yeah. And it, it doesn't have to be, when we talk about travel, it doesn't have to be far flung. You could have gone to uh, like a festival that had blacksmithing locally or, you know, a local aquarium, a local zoo, even a flea market. You can turn into a scavenger hunt. You can, a, a, an ethnic restaurant can be sort of like a foreign adventure if you, you know, include maybe a couple of words from that language and learn a little bit about maybe see a video of the country, you can, you can turn it into something more and that's how you can sort of travel without leaving home. I love that idea. Yeah. Cause we, we have one particular little Korean restaurant here close by us. And, you know, most people, when they see me, they do not think Korean, you know, for obvious reasons, I'm a big brown guy with a big black beard. I do not look Asian in any way, uh, but the military saw fit to teach me that particular language. And so, you know, when I did take my boys to, to this little Korean restaurant once and we sit down and I, I'll give the waitress mad props. She came over and she did her best. I mean, the sign out front said Hanguk Chupum. And unless you could read Korean kanji, like you had no idea what it said. I could. So I did. I mean, we went in and we ate and she was really shocked when <laughs> when I started into Korean with her. But um, but it was a great opportunity to take them to something that They'll, they'll never have that opportunity I and mean, they couldn't go in there by themselves and, and do that because it, the language barrier was too great, but, yeah, you know, but there's th- opportunities like that around. Absolutely. You can experience the world without living home. And for Korean, I happen to live with someone who is a huge fan of K-pop. So I hear Korean all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll just go ahead and say, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, I'm actually I'm I'm starting to know it, it's not even the regular K-pop, it's the alternative K-pop like Mama Moo and Jana B and uh Jaram and I I know all these songs now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was not popular back in the day when I was learning it. So yeah. I never learned any any of the music, but I will say this at the food, and this may just be my my bias here, but as far as Asian food goes, the Koreans have got it going on, man. Yeah. They've Great. got it going on. Very cool. Well, I am sure that when I get taken to Seoul, which I have been told is going to happen shortly, 
when Mama Moo has a concert that I will be experiencing the Korean food firsthand. <laughs> well, I'll give you a warning. Um, um, the, uh, the kimchi is the one thing I, I do not recommend to anybody yeah. who doesn't have a palate that can handle that. That is, um, that is quite the powerful flavor and not made for me. But other than that, mm, I'm going to tell you some good bulgogi, some, some kimbap. Oh yeah. Yeah. You, you, yeah. you can't get me out of the place if they start bringing that over, but you know, it's, it's that, that travel idea where, Hey, we can go visit a different area, different place. Because for me, from here in the St. Louis area, the flight to Korea and back, <laughs> And that, like, that would be a miserable experience with my kids, I think. Very long. And I could give you a ton of tips for, for traveling with kids on airplanes, but I'll, I'll leave it for another day because there's so, it's the longest chapter in the book. I believe that. Yeah. I think I would just, uh, do you remember the A team back in the day? Yes. Yeah. Do you remember how they got, uh, what was it, BA to, uh, to travel on airplanes? No. Oh, they, they would always end up giving him a shot just before when he didn't know it. And then he'd pass out. They get him on the airplane. That's what I think I'd have to do to get my crew on an airplane without yeah. ending up, um, without ending up at, you know, sidelined in an airport somewhere along the way and being put off as, uh, as problem passengers. Yeah. It's, it's an art to know how to travel with children with this, you know, with invisible disabilities on an airplane. And there's questions about whether they're the, the ones that want to go on first, they want to go on last. There are pros and cons for each. Every child is different. Uh, how you check in. There are ways you can sample the airport. I will tell you, if you look into a, a group called Wings for Autism, they will have you do a run through at the airport from arrival through up until boarding so that when you actually do it on the day of flight, it's old hand to you. There's also a, a group called TSA Cares, which will assign someone to you where they offer it, whatever airports they offer it in, where there'll be somebody to help you out through uh, security and help you through the airport and can spot triggers and, and help you, you know, ward off a meltdown before it happens. That's awesome. Yeah. Because if, if you haven't lived in that life where a meltdown is a very real possibility, you just haven't lived in my opinion. Yeah. I don't, I know it. <laughs> <laughs> I am no stranger to the meltdown. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's, that's what so many listeners are, are going to, you know, their experiences looks like as well. So it's that meltdown that you never expected, you know, you, you are that parent in the eyes of everyone around because everything went sideways and nobody understands it in the room, but you. Yeah, that's, that's a very, very important thing, I think, for us to realize. Because if you are a foster parent or an adoptive parent, or if you just have kids with some of these invisible disabilities that may be biologically attached to you, you know, you, you still, you, you, you come into this and you want to have this great experience with your child. You want to have a great experience for your kids. And it then turns out to be something horrific if you don't do it properly. You know, you have to actually chalk that up into a learning experience so that the next time you do it, you'll know where, what went wrong and how to fix it. So I think rather than throw up your hands and saying, well, that's it. We're never doing that again. I think you have to analyze where things went wrong and, and brainstorm how you could ward it off next time. Yeah, that's a great point because I, I'm not going to lie. I'm the guy who's pretty happy with going, that's it. <laughs> I'm never doing that again. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so easy to get to that point, but you know, these memories are the, are the things, especially, like I said, foster and adoptive kids, these kids don't have a lot of great memories a lot of times. Yeah. So you can build them. It's, it's you, you get to build them, which is very special. Yeah. Because, you know, of the kids in my house right now today, maybe one of them has 
maybe no actually i don't think any of the ones in the house right now will have had any real memories of of their childhood with their biological parents and so we have to rewire that yeah we have to build that and that's why that's so incredibly important well don i I just want to thank you for for having having this conversation today and and talking about the things that these kids need because so many of us don't understand what it is that that really goes into creating an experience that a kid will remember for a lifetime when they have all these other things to deal with. And we, we get frightened into that, that place of do nothing, you know? Yeah, no, I hope this does help your listeners. Uh, they can find the book. The book comes out August 15th. That'll be out in hardcover, audiobook, and ebook. It's available everywhere. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, the publisher, Roman and Littlefield, your, your independent bookstores will have it online. Uh, if you need to find out anything, go to Traveling Different. That's Traveling with one L, different.com, where you'll find some original content that both supplements and updates the book. Uh, you know, if, if people need someone to speak at a, an event online, virtual, because I'm based out of New York, I'm happy to help. Um, and email me if you have questions or if my, my email address is in the it's part of the website, but also in the book. If, if you find that you've had a different experience that I've mentioned, if you have strategies that I've missed, um, or you found a place that's really, say, autism friendly that I haven't listed, then write to me so I can include it in um, the blog. And it might be in an upcoming edition of the book, because I see this as a, a large crowdfunding ex, uh, you know, experience. And also, while I'd love you to buy the book, um, if you could also order it from your library, then it'll be available to, for people who can't afford to buy it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. All the, uh, all the links that, you know, will, will be in the show notes. So people can just look down a little bit from where you're staring at right now on your phone and, and hit the, the, uh, the links there to be able to go out and get it one way or another there and find, uh, find the websites and everything. So, and I love the fact that you include an audio book because I am, a guy who drives for a living and I need audiobooks. I need to be able to have something that I can read and keep me, uh, keep me awake while I'm driving. And I can't, I don't have time to sit and read a book. I have time. Yeah. To, I have time to listen though. Yep. Same for me. I'm walking the lake and listening to books while I, while I walk or work out. So yeah, I love audiobooks. Um, uh, yep. And, um, I'm also on Twitter and Facebook. So, you know, reach out and find me and, you know, let's have a conversation. If I can help you in any way, I'd love to do that. Absolutely. Thanks for your time today. Thank you. Okay, Foster Care Nation. Thank you for listening to Dawn's story. Now take her knowledge and wisdom to heart so you can create love and healing in your family and community. Be sure to come back next week. We have new episodes every Tuesday. If you'd like to share your story as a guest, you can reach us at Jason at fostercarenation.com. You can connect with other like-minded people on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash fostercareuj. Don't forget we have a Patreon account where you can support our mission for as little as $5 a month to patreon.com slash fostercarenation. The links to everything are in the show notes in your podcast player or at fostercarenation.com. And as always, you are so super awesome. I thank you guys. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Unparalleled Studios. Studios.